0: Tonight we're going to be talking about the hero of Revelation seals. So I'd like for you to just take your Bibles. you have your Bibles tonight? Take your Bibles and turn with me to Revelation, the book of Revelation. We're going to be looking at the uh, chapter here, Revelation chapter 4, preceding the discussion of the seals here in Revelation. And we're going to be discovering why it is that one person was found worthy to open the seals. Revelation chapter 4, and uh, we're going to begin reading here in verse 1. Revelation chapter 4 and verse 1. When you're there, can you say amen? amen? All right. After this, I looked, and behold, a door was opened in heaven, and the first voice which I heard was as it were a trumpet talking with me, which said, Come up hither, and I will show thee things which must be Hereafter. Now, this is the the prophet John. He's being invited to see something in heaven. Wouldn't you like to have that kind of an invitation? Yeah. Wouldn't you like to have someone say, hey, I want to show you something. Come on up. And um, immediately, he says, he went into vision. I was in the spirit, and behold, a throne was set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. So John is taken right into the very throne room of heaven, and he describes what he saw there for us to, to, be, uh, to be educated by. Verse 3, and he that sat was to look upon like a jasper and a sardine stone. And there was a rainbow round about the throne in sight like unto an emerald. And around about the throne were 24 seats. And upon the seats I saw 24 elders sitting, clothed in white raiment, and they had on their heads crowns of gold. What an interesting picture John sees in the heavenly throne room. We tend to think of the throne room of... Of heaven as having the throne of god but here he he sees 24 additional thrones and um, out of the throne verse 5 proceeded lightnings and thunderings and voices and there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne which are the seven spirits of god and before the throne, there was a sea of glass like unto crystal. And in the midst of the throne and round about the throne were four beasts full of eyes before and behind. Now, we understand that the word here in, in, uh, in the Bible to talk, the translated beast, is really just talking about living creatures, Zuma. It's talking about the living creatures. And so sometimes when we think of beasts, we always think of scary beasts, you know, with horns and, and devouring and destroying and that's not the case in Revelation chapter 4. It's just four living creatures. They're right there in the throne room of God. They're not going to be violent, destroying, devouring creatures, right? Are we, are we okay on that? And um, notice it says the first beast was like a lion, and the second beast like a calf, and the third beast had a face as a man, and the fourth beast was like a flying eagle. Now, we don't have time to go into all of the details here. Our focus is the hero of Revelation Seals. But just for, your, uh, just for your further study, if you'd like to look into it, in, in the camp of Israel, ancient Israel, God's people in the Old Testament times, there were, in the, there, were, there were 12 tribes, and they were arranged around the tabernacle. And around the tabernacle, on four sides, there would have been three tribes on each side, right? Each of those tribes, one, two, three, had a... Had a uh, had a, uh, a flag or a banner, an emblem that represented the tribes. And interestingly enough, the four living creatures that John describes here are the, uh, are the emblems from the Old Testament of the four center tribes on either side of the sanctuary. These, these people, and just just, just uh, to give you a clue, these, these living creatures are are representative of god's people we go on and um verse 8 the four beasts each had of of them six wings about them and they were full of eyes within and they rest not day and night saying what do they say holy 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 lord god almighty which was and is and is to come wow these these beings live to praise god they live to glorify God, to worship Him. Verse 9, And when those beasts, those living creatures, give glory and honor and thanks to Him that sits on the throne, who lives forever and ever, what do the 24 elders do? Verse 10, The 24 elders fall down before Him that sits on the throne and and worship Him that lives forever and ever and, and cast their crowns before the throne, saying, what do they say? You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for you have created all things, and for your pleasure they are and were created. What an amazing story we have here! What an amazing passage! When we talk about the uh, the uh, the hero of Revelation seals, we're talking about this person who has what does he say he's, it's, he's created all things and that's even why he says that's why he says there that he is worthy because they you have created all things revelation chapter 4 and verses 1 through 11 now when we think about creation what do we think about we think about um We think about the fact that God has power to bring something out of nothing. That God has power to do something that you and I can't do. I mean, we can't create, can we? Can we create? Now, we are made in the image of God. We're going to be talking about that here in a minute. Uh, We are made in the image of God, but we can't create something out of nothing. We can't do that at all. We are unable to do that because we don't have that power. We, ha- we can be creative. We can take energy and, 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 and mass, and we can make things out of it, but we can't create as God can create, and that is, uh, that is what the Bible says here in these verses is the basis for worship. The basis for worship is that God is the creator, that he has created all things. I'm just trying to see if my technology will cooperate here god has created all things and that's why he has the uh, the prerogative of worship now if we continue on we we remember that that Because God has created all things, the 24 elders bow down, the living creatures say, Holy, 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 you are worthy for you have created all things. When we continue on in the book of Revelation, we find in Revelation chapter 14 and verse 7, you can turn with me there if you like, Revelation 14 and verse 7, we see that this is not the only time in which Revelation talks about worship. In fact, in an upcoming night, we're going to be talking about how worship is an integral part, an important part. Of the uh, of the uh, of the end time issues, and so it's very important for us to understand this issue of worship. We'll talk about that in a whole a whole uh, evening coming up. But notice with me, Revelation chapter fourteen and verse seven. It says, "And worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea, and the springs of water." Notice that the worship called forth in Revelation chapter fourteen is is indicated to be the worship of the Creator, right? In Revelation 4, we saw that God is worthy of worship because He has created all things. Here we find that He is worthy of worship because He is the Creator once again. And so, worship is closely tied to the fact that God is our Creator. Now, I realize that this evening I'm speaking about something that is becoming less and less popular in Christianity, I'm making myself a little, sort of a a big target here, aren't I, by talking about creation. It seems as though fewer and fewer people want to talk about creation. Even Christians are shying away from from creation. And I want to tell you why I believe this is such an important topic, that it is found in the book of Revelation, and it's even found in a specific message for the end times. That means it's pretty important, even today, I believe. And this is why. I believe that creation is the basis of true worship. Now, we don't worship the creation. We worship who? The creator, right? The problem is, for many false religions, they've come to worship the creation instead of the creator. But, but according to the book of Revelation, Revelation chapter 14, Revelation chapter 4, we notice that the basis of true worship is that God is the creator. It's the basis of true worship. Furthermore, creation is the, basics, the basis of ethics and morality. Without spending a lot of time on this sort of uh, philosophical point, I'll just mention that, in that unless there is a source of morality outside of humanity, outside of us, then ethics and morality is just based on what's convenient and what the majority says. Do you understand that concept? The only only way there can be such a thing as right and wrong that's not fluid and changing but actually timeless is if there is a basis of morality that's outside of humanity, that's outside of our finite lifespans, that comes from an infinite, timeless source, and that's God. So, philosophically, we could unpack that for quite a while, but philosophically, creation, I believe, is the basis for ethics and morality. Very, very important. And friends, I, I, think, we're seeing, I think we're seeing a slipping in society of ethics and morality, don't you think? Yes. And I think part of the reason is because we no longer have a, a foundation that says there's a God out there that's bigger than me, a timeless God who has set standards for what is right and wrong. Creation is also the basis of all real self-worth. Self-worth. In the table that I had joined here this evening during that discussion time a little while ago, um, we were talking about that. We were talking about how if something is made, even if it's made of unvaluable or, not invaluable, but unvaluable, not valuable materials, if, if it's a master artist that made it, it becomes very valuable. And... Creation says God made us, therefore we have purpose and meaning. We're not just an accident suspended on this planet Earth. Creation is the basis of all real self-worth. Furthermore, we could continue and say that creation supports the concepts of sin and a Savior. Now, what do you mean by that? I mean that creation gives us an opportunity to, to logically and rationally and consistently believe in the in the story of the gospel and the story of the bible bear with me a little bit on that if evolution were true intelligent life would be the result of endless cycles of death and dying is that is that can you agree with me isn't that the theory of evolution that uh, that we came about human humanity human beings intelligent life came about because of endless cycles or seemingly endless cycles millions maybe billions of years of uh, death and dying until somehow accidentally genes mutated and we became better and more intelligent right am i misstating things is this true that's what evolution teaches right intelligent life is the result of endless cycles of death and dying now death would have preceded mankind is that true? Under the, under the paradigm of evolution, death would have preceded mankind, so death must not be the consequence of Adam and Eve's sin. Are you with me? Now, many Christians, even though they accept the theory of evolution, they don't realize what it's going to do to their, their understanding of the Bible. It's not just Genesis chapter 1, friends. You see, if, if death was not the result of the consequence of, sin, consequence of sin, then why would Jesus have to die for our sins? Do you understand where we go? From from not believing in the creation story, pretty soon we recognize that death of the Savior is senseless and meaningless because there's no correlation between sin and death if we just came about by endless cycles being repeated of death and dying. And so when when we adopt the theory of evolution, We challenge much more than just Genesis chapter 1 and 2. If there's no creator, then there's no such thing as sin, for an external standard of right and wrong depends on an eternal and transcendent moral being. And, you know, I know some people are going to say, wait a minute, couldn't a God as powerful as the God we believe in, the God we've been studying about in Daniel and Revelation, who knows the future, couldn't He have just chosen to use naturalistic means to bring about this world? And the answer is yes, he could have. But you still have an unescapable intellectual conflict because the God that is using death and dying to bring about creation is not a loving and caring God. Do you understand? You cannot resolve a God who uses death death and pain and suffering as a modality for creation with the Bible's picture of a loving, caring, concerned God. And so even with that, uh, that caveat, it still doesn't help us in our search for, for consistency. If there is no sin that brings death as a consequence, there is no need for a Savior to die in our place. You do away with creation, friends. And you do away with jesus you do away with the whole gospel as we know it if you're going to be consistent intellectually now i use this simply as a illustration of what is happening in our world today i don't have anything against pope francis please as a person i think he's a very admirable person right Um, he's got some some very good ideas, but I just want you to see what's happening in our Christian world and mainstream Christianity. This is just, I took this from the internet today, Pope Francis declares evolution and the Big Bang Theory are real, and God's not a magician with a magic wand. Notice what he says, when we read about creation in Genesis, we run the risk of imagining God was a magician with a magic wand able to do everything, but that is not so. Now, With all due respect to to his opinion, I have to say, I don't believe God has a magic wand, but I'm going to be more likely to believe, I don't know about you, but I'm gonna be more likely to believe what God's word has to say about creation than what we have opinions and philosophies and even, even in some ways science has to say. We'll talk more about that as we go on. What does God's word say? I mean, we just read in Revelation, right? We read in Revelation that the basis of worship is that God is the creator. And so what does God's word say about creation? How can we better understand this issue? And what effect does it have on us living today in 2014? You think it's an important question? Is it something you want to look at? Something you want to understand better? Let's look together. It says in Psalm 33, verses 6 through 9, By the word of the Lord were the heavens made, and all the host of them by the breath of His mouth. He gathers the waters of the sea together as a heap. He lays up the depths in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the earth stand in awe of Him. For He spoke and it was done. He commanded and it stood fast. How does the psalmist david describe creation how did god create according to the psalm 33 he spoke and it was done now i recognize that here there's no magic wand involved right you, listen friends god doesn't even need a magic wand he's so much more powerful than any magician he doesn't even need the wand all he needs is to speak the word i have the confession to make with you today i believe in the big bang theory I believe that God spoke and bang. It was there. Now, on a serious note, we when we get to the book of Genesis, we're gonna notice, we're gonna notice that God he, 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 he says that in the beginning the earth was without form and void. We notice that, right? And so God could have used any means at his disposal to create the earth. And since God is timeless, are you listening to me? I don't want to. I don't want to get too far over my, uh, my, uh, my area of expertise, but I hope, I hope I'm coming across clearly. If God is timeless, it is certainly possible that much of the matter around us in the universe was created very, very, very long time ago, right? That's not, that's not hard for us to rationalize, even with a very clear and simple reading of the book of Genesis. So God spoke, and it was done, He commanded, and it stood fast. That's what the psalmist says happened. And so let's look in Genesis chapter 1. Turn with me in your Bibles, Genesis chapter 1. Some of you read it during your your table time, but we're going to look at it once again. We're just going to take it day by day, and we're going to see the testimony of the Bible itself of what happened in the beginning, the origin of mankind. In the beginning, verse 1, Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1, in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. Verse 3, are you there? Yeah. Genesis 1, verse 3, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw the light, and it was good, and God divided the uh, darkness, uh, uh, God divided the light from the darkness, and God called the light day, and the darkness He called night, and the evening and the morning were the first day it's very interesting here how how god has already set up this uh paradigm of uh of uh, of creation and um i find it very interesting i'm getting a little bit off my subject here but i i just feel like i have to throw this in for what it's worth you notice what it says what were the first day the evening and the morning, the and the morning. now the the daytime or the nighttime and the daytime In the the Hebrew way of thinking, in the the biblical way of thinking, we might say, in God's way of thinking, the way He describes it and the way He created it, the nighttime preceded the daytime. Now, we today use what we call a Roman, um, or or what is a Roman system for counting the days, don't we? Um, I don't know why exactly, but they decided somehow the middle of the night would be easier, and they split the nighttime, we have half of one night and then all of the day, and then half of the next night, right? As a part of our days. But the way the Bible presents it, the day began when? In the evening time. The night time was the first part of the day. That's pretty, pretty simple. And then the whole of the next day was uh, contiguous, and that became the, the 24-hour period. The evening and the morning were the first day. Pretty simple, right? Now, why am I pointing this out? I'm only pointing this out because of something I've personally learned. You know, I've gone to a number of seminars on time management and efficiency and so forth, and, and in my personal walk with God, I've I've, I've found different ways of, of trying to begin my day with Him, but there's one thing that I've noticed. If I want my Tuesday to go well, I really have to start Monday night. You ever notice that? Is, your, is it just me, or is it is it just sort of the way we're made? Like, I really think we would do better to think of my evening as part of my next day. It's all—it's all going to affect my next day. If I want to—if I want to grow in Jesus on Monday, Sunday night, I need to—I need to do some things. I need to maybe—maybe maybe make sure I get some good rest because otherwise, if I don't go to bed early, if I stay up late and doing something, just—just. Just, piddling around. Is it going to be easier for me to wake up and spend time with my Savior in the morning? No. So, this this business of evening and morning actually has a practical side to it, just for what it's worth from my experience. Now, notice we go on to the next day, uh, verse verse 6, a division of the waters. Notice with me verse 6, and God said, let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters, and let it divide the waters from the waters... And God made the firmament and divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament, and it was so. Now, you can tell I'm reading tonight from the King James Version, and uh, sometimes my tongue gets a little tangled up. But um, God calls the firmament heaven, and the evening and the morning were the first day. So, here we find a division of the uh, waters, the waters which are above the earth and the waters which are below the earth. And uh, God said this uh, these waters should be separated and they were. Day 3, we continue on in verse 9. God said, "Let the waters under the heaven be gathered together unto one place and let the dry land appear." And it was so. And God ca- uh, God called the dry land earth and the gathering together the waters he called seas. And God saw that it was good. Verse 11, God said, "Let the earth bring forth grass, and the herb yielding seed, and the fruit tree yielding fruit after his kind, whose seed is in itself upon the earth, and it was so. And the earth brought forth grass, and the herb yielding seed after his kind, the tree yielding fruit, whose seed was in itself after his kind. And God saw that it was good, the evening and the morning were the... What what day are we on now? The third day. God saw that it was good. The evening and the morning were the third day. What an amazing story so far, isn't it? Um, In just three days, according to the Bible's record, god has brought order out of chaos he has created order in time he has created order in space he has created order on the dry land now with now with herb bearing seed and and plants that are that are reproducing in a systematic way and verse 14 we continue on day four verse uh, verse 14 It says and god said let there be lights in the firmament of the heaven to divide the day from the night and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years and let them be for lights in the firmament of the heaven to give light upon the earth and it was so and god made two great lights what's the what's the greater light the sun what's the lesser light the moon the sun rules the day according to genesis 1 verse 17 and uh, the lesser light the moon rules the night he made the stars also Aren't you, God, aren't you glad that God gave us such an amazing environment that we find this world in? What an amazing God. And God set them in the firmament of the heaven to give light upon the earth and to rule over the day and over the night and to divide the light from the darkness, and God saw that it was good. The evening and the morning were now the fourth day, and we moved down to the fifth day. It's just getting more and more exciting, isn't it? God, I, I could. I, I wish that I could have been there and just seen. I can imagine, and... It's a little dangerous sometimes when we let our imaginations run wild, at least mine, but I can imagine God just having a big smile of gleeful joy on his face as he made some of these things. I mean, he has to, look at, look at the world around you. He, God has to have a sense of humor, don't you think? I mean, God has to, God had to have really enjoyed all of these, packing all these DNAs of all the different potentials that would have come out. And what, what a, what a God we serve. Verse, verse, uh, verse 20. Um, day 5 Genesis 1 verses 20 and 20 through 23 God said let the waters bring forth abundantly the moving creature that has life and the fowl that may fly above the earth in the open firmament of heaven and God created great whales and every living creature that moves which the waters brought forth abundantly after their kind and and every winged fowl after his kind and God saw that it was Good. And God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply that the waters and fill the waters in the seas, and let fowls multiply in the earth, and the evening and the morning were the fifth day. Now every day God has becoming has been getting more and more um, prolific, you might say, in his creation. The first day it was just light separating day and night the second day he 's separating the waters the firmament from the water below the third day he's causing dry land and, 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 and living organisms on the dry land and, and now he 's got the the living creatures in the in the waters and in the skies and the sixth day is uh, he's, he's becoming more and more, I think, creative. Well, I I couldn't say that. He's becoming more and more prolific as he creates all kinds of things that creep along the ground. And notice with me verse 24 and onward. God said, Let the earth bring forth the living creature after his kind, cattle and creeping thing, and beast of the earth after his kind, and it was so. And God made the beast of the earth after his kind, and cattle after their kind, and everything that creeps upon the earth after his kind. And God saw That it was good can you say with me that what god has done is good yeah now i know i know i've 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 tried to make you a little schizophrenic here reading your bible and also watching the screen right trying to do two things at once but isn't it amazing to just see a few things that we see in our world today of the creative and awesome power of god what an amazing god but this wasn't all this wasn't the end of what he would do during His time of creation. God wasn't finished yet. He yet had a a very impressive work to do, and we read about it in verse 26. And uh, God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. In fact, it says in Genesis chapter 2, and verse 7, it says, The Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. Now some people read this passage and they say, wait a minute, there's two different creations here. Genesis chapter 1 verse 26 says God made man his own image. Genesis chapter 2 and verse 7 says that man was formed of the dust of the ground, and God breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. This is a very typical Hebrew style of writing where you have a an overview story, and then you come back and you give greater information about it. Um, This is not at all surprising. I don't believe he's describing two different creations of mankind. I believe he's giving more details about what is the most important, the most important creation of the week. You see, God didn't just speak and voila, man appeared. He could have, right? The Bible, that's what... David said he did, that's how he created the heavens and the earth, so he's capable of that type of fiat creation, but no, I think it may have been, so that we living in 2014 in Dalton, Georgia, it's Halloween, isn't it? Tonight, we might read this and recognize, you know, mankind is not just an ordinary part of an amazing God's creation. Mankind is the crowning act of his creation. Mankind was was the real purpose for which all of creation was heading toward. Mankind was, was, was what God was wanting to accomplish when he started out on this work of creation. And when he got to it, he had to take special time. I mean, imagine all of the different things that he created. He must have been thinking as only God's mind can think and speaking in, in ways that only God can speak so that all of it happened so simultaneously and instantaneously and God's mind became reality. But when it came to the forming of mankind, he stooped down. It's, it's not beneath God to come down to ground level. Here he comes down to ground level and he, he gets his hands dirty and he, he forms of the dust of the ground. He forms our various parts just the way he wanted. And then he breathed into our nostrils, Adam's nostrils, the breath of life and man became a living soul." I think that God wanted us to know how special we are to Him. I think He wanted us to know the value and the importance of the human race. Time is valuable, even when it's God's time, and God would not just speak, He would form and He would breathe, and then He would spend time with the first pair. You see, the day of creation was a, uh, the six days of creation were an incredibly productive time, but we can't finish because the Bible continues here in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 1. Read them with me here. It says, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day God ended His work which He had made. And He did what? He rested on the seventh day from all His work which He had made. And God blessed the seventh day and sanctified, which means set it apart, because that in it he had rested from all his work, which God created and made. Now, friends, there's a lot of critics and a lot of skeptics who say, that, you know, we really couldn't have, we really couldn't have come from a Almighty God's creative power. But there's several things, and, and um, we'll talk about some of these m- more as we go along this evening. But one of the things that I challenge us to try to figure out is why, if, if this story isn't true, Why do cultures all around the world from ancient times have seven days to their week? This whole concept of a week, it's not based in anything celestial. There's no planetary movements. The only reason I can find that cultures around the world have observed seven days in a week is because this story is true that god actually created the world in six days and he didn't want us to have a six day, six day week so he simply did nothing he rested and by doing so created another day the seventh day and he rested making a seven uh, day week you see my friends adam and eve did not just evolve the bible says that god designed them and their world in a very particular intelligent intentional way and god even made them in his own image what a pr- priceless value he places upon mankind. God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Friends, we're made in the image of God. It reminds me of the story of a, a young boy that was sitting in a train station in London, and he had sort of he spent some time on the streets running away from home, and he had this look uh, about him. He was sort of dirty, and, and, uh, and he was he was wearing the the sort of rebellious looking clothes of the day maybe it was the saggy pants or whatever it was and this story happened quite a while ago but there was a british preacher who happened to see him in the train station there and he, he came across he was waiting for his train he saw the the boy slumped against the the wall and he went over to him and he started talking to him he said young man he said he said um how are you doing today Ah, um, well you know it wasn't really that talkative and he said well can i ask you a question why are you here he said well you know i'm waiting for whatever and he said, no, but why are you here? Why are you here? Why are you alive? Well, the boy hadn't really thought too much about that. He said, I guess. I guess because uh, I was born. Well, that makes sense, right? Um, he said. preacher said, but why were you born? Well, I don't know. I don't think it was... I don't think my mom wanted kids, you know, I think, I just happened to be born. Okay, well, why else are you here? Why else are you alive? Boy thought about it for a while, and he realized there was another reason why he was alive. And he said, well, I guess because I haven't died. (laughs) So, yeah. Um, Why do you think you haven't died? Well, he hadn't really thought about that before. He said, I guess it just, I mean, it hasn't happened. It's just, you know, when it happens, it happens, and it hasn't happened. And so, so you know, I guess uh, maybe someday I'll die. I don't know. And the preacher asked the boy, he said, so what you're saying to me is that in your own eyes, your life is like an accident, suspended between the accident of birth The accident of death. No real purpose. That's the way a lot of people are living, isn't it? It's not just the boy in the train station. There's a lot of us. We forget. We didn't get here by accident. God made us. He created us. And you may say, well, that was Adam and Eve. This is Chester. Listen. Listen god is the source of life we studied that last night right and if god is the source of life friends then god also has a reason for giving you life our lives are not mere accidents suspended between the accident of birth and the accident of death our lives have meaning and purpose because there's a creator god who brought us into existence who sustains our life and the creation story tells us that god made man in his own image after his own likeness and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and we became living souls now we're going to look at a different angle of creation now and we're going to we're going to look at an aspect that many Christians haven't really thought that much about we're going to look at how not only was Jesus in the New Testament talking to us about salvation and and he gave us an example and he died for our sins but jesus was involved in our creation even in the beginning in the old testament you want to see what the bible says about that jesus i believe was the active agent in creation we turn first to the book of john john chapter 1 verses 1 to 1 through 3 and it says this in the beginning was the word and the word was with god and the word was god he was in the beginning with god and without him who's him who's he talking about Well, it's the Word, at least. Nothing was made that was made. Now, we, we nail this down by looking at verse 14, which tells us who the Word was. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Who's the Word? Jesus, right? Jesus became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. You see, my friends, Jesus, it says, was in the beginning with God. He was not only in the beginning with God, it says there was nothing made that was made without him. Everything that was created, Jesus had a part in. In fact, we continue on and we look in Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 9, and it speaks of the mystery which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God who created all things through who? Through Jesus Christ did you know that in the old testament jesus was there As part of the creation team. In fact, he was the active agent. God created all things, it says, through Jesus Christ. Paul says it this way in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 16 For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and by him, and he is before all things and in Him all things consist. Friends, if we got up this morning and breathed into our lungs the inspiration of air, it's because Jesus provides us life. The Bible's very clear. Jesus is very interested in us for one reason, one of the reasons being that He is not only our Savior, He is our Redeemer. He is our creator as well. Now, the question is, what about modern science? Doesn't modern science make believing in creation look foolish? And I don't pretend for one moment to have all of the answers, um, but neither, I would point out, does the theory we call evolution. There are, there are some pretty difficult challenges to any theory of origins if we just look at the observable things we see in the world today. And by the way, Origins, rightly understood, is not so much about science as it is about philosophy. And we could spend some time talking about this. But science portends to be able to observe the observable, right? And that's what science is about. Um, and so there, are there things that, that uh, we can observe in our world today that indicate, for example, the age of the earth or age of artifacts? Yes, there are. But it is taking an assumption that things like decay rates and so forth have always been the same when we weren't there to observe it. Do you understand what I'm saying? So, science has its own limitations in what answers or what questions it can answer. And I would suggest to you today that either theory or belief in origins requires faith to believe. It does. Whether you're talking about creation or talking about evolution, it, talks about, it requires faith. If I had all the answers, if I could create just like God can create, it, wouldn't, it would not require any faith for me, me, me to believe in creation, right? But it does require faith. And I would propose that it actually requires more faith in my way of thinking. It requires more faith for me to believe that this, this uh, universe came about just by chance. Some of you may have read um, the column I wrote last year in the, the Dalton Daily Citizen. Stephen Hawking had just made a statement about, about the origins of the universe. And basically, he had, he had suggested that, um, he had suggested this. He suggested that there is no way that this is the only universe, that we must actually be a part, this is one universe among an almost infinite number of universes. And you know why he suggested that? Because he's coming to terms with the reality that the odds of intelligent life as we know it, existing in a universe with, even with millions and trillions and billions of years, however many you wanna give it, the odds of it happening in one universe are so small that we really need more universes to explain how it happened. Do you understand what he just did? He just made an admission of how unlikely, how much faith it requires. It's sort of like if you put a a stick of TNT in a stack of paper and ink and light the fuse, and voila, you have a fully functional dictionary. Dictionary. How many times would you have to do that before you got a dictionary? I mean, a dictionary is very simple compared to the universe we live in, by the way. And Hawking's is saying, listen, you have to do that a lot of times, so many times that we can't be in the only universe. There has to be other universes. Does that require faith? It requires faith to believe. I suggest it requires more faith than simply to believe what God's Word says, that an intelligent God created a, a race and put his own image in it. Um, even agnostic scientists have at times been forced to concede that the evidence points to an intelligent designer. The human body gives us amazing evidence of design and a designer. If we just look at one part, if we just look at the human eye, we see how intricate and delicate design of the human eye makes even the most advanced cameras that we have on earth today look like child's toys. The eye changes light into electrical signals and impulses that the brain understands, and we can't reproduce it, we can't improve upon it. The brain cells, these, these signals, make uh, the miracle we call sight. Now what's interesting about this is that if the eye were to have evolved, as it said it would have to, it would have evolved, so that it would become an, an advantage in whatever host that had those genes, if it were to happen. All of the parts necessary for sight would have had to evolve together at the same time, or have been present at the same time. You understand? If just one component of vision was missing—the optic nerve, or, or 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 the lens, or anything else—it would not be an advantage that would be that would be uh, able to be transmitted on to future generations. It it's rather staggering to consider that that is even possible. Um, no wonder the psalmist wrote as he thought about the human body. In Psalm 139, verse 14, I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. And he continues on and he says, Marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows very well. I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Do you catch a common theme there? What is praise? It's worship he's talking about, isn't it? Why does the, the, the psalmist say he will praise God? Because he's his Greater God. That's the same thing we pick up in Revelation, right? You're worthy of our worship, for you created all things. Just like the footprints in the sand, we, we knew someone had been there even if we had not seen that person. So in the natural world, we see that there's order and symmetry and organization. There had to have been an intelligent mind that appreciated these things. Think of the migration of the birds, one of the greatest puzzles of nature. How can birds weighing less than an ounce migrate thousands of miles nonstop? to a destination they've never been at before. The how do fish find streams where their lives began 1,200 miles across unmapped oceans? How did they learn to know when and where to go? Who taught the honeybee how to make honeycomb, which is a marvel of even modern engineering and its its design? With a brain no larger than a pinhead, and yet yet the honeybee is able to make such an intricate and perfect design. Who is the mastermind behind at all? Job tells us in his, in his uh, story, he says, now ask the beasts, and they will teach you, and the birds of the air, and they will tell you, or speak to the earth, and it will teach you, and the fish of the sea will explain to you. Who among all these does not know that the hand of the Lord has done this? Oh, my friends, if you just look around the world around us, it testifies that there's an intelligent, loving, God, who created all of these things. When we look at the world, we see it, but when we look even beyond the world to the mysteries of the vast universe with its solar systems and galaxies all orbiting predictably and consistently through perfectly balanced forces, these these facts point us to an intelligent designer as well. It's not just happenstance. It's not just coincidence. No, there's a mastermind, who, a God who knows all of these things and who planned it. And David said it this way in Psalm 8, verses 3 and 4, When I consider your heavens and the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, what is man? That you are mindful of him and the Son of Man, that you visit him. It puts us into perspective, doesn't it? when God could do all of these things, and yet He cares. He cares for you. He cares for me. It's no wonder. It's no wonder, friends, that John, when he sees this temple open in heaven, when he sees that worship scene, he sees these people who are aware of all these things, and all they can do, the four living creatures, all they're doing is saying, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is forevermore, eternal God. And when they say this, the 24 elders bow down and they, and they worship God. Why? Because He's not only a, an amazing, intelligent, creative God who, who is the mastermind behind all of these amazing miracles, but He's also a loving God, Amen. a God who cares about His creation, a God who is concerned and interested. Oh, it's no wonder that all of heaven can't stop worshiping God, worshiping Jesus. He is the one who brought all of these things to being. He is the one who, who gives these, uh, these, uh, these living creatures in the heavenly courts a reason to praise and a reason to worship. Remember again, Revelation 4 and verse 10. The 24 elders fall down before Him who sits on the throne and worship Him who lives forever and ever. And cast their crowns before the throne, saying, You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. Oh, friends, wouldn't you like to join them one day? Wouldn't you like to cast a crown at at Jesus' feet and say, You are worthy. What an amazing God. What amazing God. What difference does it make, anyway? Does it really matter what we believe? Does it really matter? Why is it that the book of Revelation includes a message about creation? Why is it in Revelation chapter 4 creation is given as the basis for worship? Revelation chapter 14, a, a global message we're going to be unpacking more in future evenings. A global message at the end of time is given saying worship the Creator. Does it really matter? It does matter. It matters because of His love for us. God gives our lives purpose when we realize we're not just an accident suspended between an accident of birth and an accident of death. We have a reason for existence today. We have a reason for living. He has surrounded us with evidence that our lives are not just the result of happenstance or accident or the product of vicious cycles of death and bloodshed. If we're looking, we can see clear evidence that God is our creator. What difference does it make? We know that God cares and can take care of us. Oh, friends, you ever face challenges? Doesn't it give you peace of mind to know that if God can design and sustain everything in the universe, He can help you with the problems of your personal life? the challenges you face, maybe at work. You know, I remember one night I was discouraged, and I I went out to a field where I lived in the country at that time. There weren't any lights around. I was just walking across this open field, pasture. The whole, and as I was walking across the field, I came to the top of the hill, and it was a clear night, not a cloud in the sky, and that one of those dry evenings. And I looked up, and and the stars were just like milk from one horizon to the other all of a sudden, I felt really small. I saw how big, and that's just a little, a little peek at how big God is. And all of a sudden, the problems that I thought were such big problems, I realized they're not big problems for God at all. My problems aren't a challenge for Him. He's bigger. Than all of our problems. Jeremiah 32, verse 17 says, Ah, sovereign Lord, you have made the heavens and earth by your great power and outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. Does it matter that we're created? Yes, it does. Because it means that God cares and He can take care of us. It makes a difference, my friends. And that's why I believe in the last verses of the, the Holy Bible. Book of Revelation, this message is given. Worship, not just worship God, worship the Savior, but worship the Creator. He loves you. He cares for you. He's interested in you. Worship Him that made heaven and earth, the sea and the fountains of waters. Who is this God? Who is this God that Revelation calls us to worship? He is, friends, the loving Creator God. He is the amazing provider. He's the incredible designer. He's our loving redeemer. And He tonight, in 2014, is worthy of our worship. Would you agree with me? The greatest worship that we can give is to give our hearts in loving service to Him. And that's what I want to do tonight. Is there someone else that wants to say, Lord, I want to worship you? I'm not in that throne room yet but I want to worship you by giving my heart tonight. Father in heaven, what an amazing story of a God who has a purpose for our lives. Lord, maybe some of us came here just not even realizing why, just happened to come. And now we know nothing just happens. You had a purpose. You've been leading us. You've been guiding us. You've been giving us life. You've been giving us breath. You have a purpose and a plan for our day, our tomorrow. Oh, Father, tonight I pray that we might cast, we can't cast our crowns at your feet yet, but we can cast our hearts and say, Lord, take us. We love you. We want to worship you. And someday we want to worship you in person. We want to feel that hug. We want to hear those words, well done, thou good and faithful servant. We want to know all the secrets of the creation that you've made. So tonight, Father, we just give you ourselves. We give you ourselves in worship, and we ask that when you come very soon, that we might be glad to see you, because you're our very best friend, you're our creator, you're our redeemer, you're... You're the one that sustains us each step of the way. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.